You want to follow along? We'll be in Matthew 15 this morning. Matthew 15. What obstacles have prevented you from seeking Jesus? Are there things that maybe have happened to you uh, in your life that have kind of turned you away from seeking after Jesus or pursuing Him? On Sunday mornings, uh, we have Bible class, and we've been talking about Uh, the different kinds of works we do as a congregation to try to help one another, to try to build up one another, encourage one another, and also to try to reach out to others uh, that they might seek Jesus more. And really what we want is 100% of the people who walk in these doors uh, to be 100% committed to a life of spiritual growth for themselves and, and for others around them. We want everybody to to desire to grow spiritually because they have a deeply rooted love for God and a deeply rooted love for other people. This is what we desire uh, for everybody who comes in these doors. A deeply rooted desire, a deeply rooted love for God and a deeply rooted love for other people. What prevents people from getting there? What prevents people from having that in themselves? What has prevented you and what has prevented me? These are the kinds of things that we're going to be thinking about as we study a brief story of God's Word this morning uh, from Matthew chapter 15. In the book of Matthew, we've kind of noticed that Jesus can be very offensive. (laughs) Uh, Back in chapter 11, uh, John the Baptist sends disciples to Jesus... Uh, and says, are you really the one who we're supposed to be seeking, or should we look for another? Uh, and Jesus says, you know, you need to look. I mean, uh, look, at, look at what you're seeing. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And then he says in verse 6, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, since that statement in Matthew 11, as we've been studying through the book of Matthew, we've been noticing how Israel is constantly tempted to be offended by Jesus. The the Pharisees and the scribes are bringing up all kinds of points, and essentially it's like a debate uh, on whether or not you should really believe in Jesus. And the Pharisees are losing that battle every, every time because Jesus always shows himself to be the true Messiah. But he starts, because people start to get offended, he starts speaking in parables uh, where people can't quite understand what he's saying. Uh, and, and we've noticed in that that their hearts are not really seeking him. They're not really desiring him as they should. And he's trying to get that out of them. He's trying to get them to try a little bit harder, to pursue Him a little bit more. Jesus wins all the debates, but people's hearts still haven't turned to Him, to seek Him, to to desire to love God and to love God's Messiah. Instead, the Pharisees and the scribes are bringing up all kinds of things against Him, 
And what we've seen in, in Jesus is he has a desire to withdraw from the people. He, he withdraws to a desolate place, and then people come to him there. And he, he goes across the Sea of Galilee, and people come to, them, to him there. And he's, he's healing these people, and he shows compassion toward these people. But the Pharisees and scribes keep coming after him, and they keep uh, deceiving the people and trying to mess up all of his work. Well, verse 21, I think, of chapter 15 is where Jesus, uh, where Matthew tries to put uh, the nail in the coffin of this debate and tries to help everybody see the foolishness of Israel and the foolishness of the Pharisees and scribes as, as, he, as he gives us this brief story. Verse 21 says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, he's been in Galilee, in that, in that region of uh, a mixture of Gentile and Jew, and he's made his home there, and he's been working out of there for a long time. But now we read he goes to Tyre and Sidon, which is a region that's full of Gentiles. I mean, there's all kinds of Gentiles uh, in this area. And if you remember your Old Testament, you know this is where Jezebel came from. Uh, this is, this is a, a place of great trade, of great wealth, of great idolatry. So why in the world would Jesus travel from Galilee all the way up to Tyre and Sidon, 25 uh, plus miles, to, to walk all, those, all that way and spend time up in that region? Well, the text tells us it was to withdraw. Uh, the people have been after him and, and, and trying to deceive other people and been unwilling to listen. And so he's withdrawing from them and he's going up into this area. Maybe he's looking for synagogues, maybe he's looking for Jews. This is part of what should have been Israel. Uh, but he's withdrawing to, that, to this area for some period of time. And Matthew wants to bring out a story of what happens whenever he's in this area. Let's read all of this story, and then we'll break it down. Verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I just want to take a few, a few minutes this morning and talk about this story and understanding what's going on here. First of all, notice that this is a Canaanite woman, a woman from the land of Canaan. Now, they're not really called Canaanites in the first century. That's not the typical term. So Matthew's bringing up this term to try to help reinforce something in our minds. He doesn't call her a Sidonian. Uh, he doesn't call her um, someone, uh, you know, he doesn't, doesn't call her whatever a Tyre, person from Tyre is. He calls her a Canaanite. And why does he do that? Well, in the Old Testament, the Jews were commanded to come into the land of Canaan, that's what it was called at that time, and to wipe them out completely. Why? Because they're all wicked. 
extremely wicked, so much so that God is, has been waiting on them to get to a certain level of wickedness before saying, okay, now's the time, let's completely wipe them out. And, and the words to Israel were, do not have mercy or pity them. They are worthy of this judgment and you need to, to wipe them out to keep from becoming idolatrous like they are. And Israel failed to do that and allowed the Canaanites to live in the land and eventually they fell as a result of that. So here we have a woman who is called a Canaanite, and that, that simple phrase, that simple term, tells us that she is a sinful, wicked woman who is wrapped up in the idolatry of, of her society, who is wrapped up in the wickedness of her society. And here she comes, and she approaches Jesus with a request. My daughter has a demon, and, and, and she's severely oppressed by that demon, and and. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. This is an odd story. Because Jesus is silent and says nothing to her. Imagine the awkwardness of this scene. You're walking through the streets and here's a woman who cries out, Have mercy on me, O son of David, for my daughter is demon-oppressed. And Jesus just keeps walking. Now, if you're there at that time, uh, you probably wouldn't think a whole lot of that, really. I mean, uh, Jews don't really associate with Gentiles. I mean, this is something that they just don't do. We don't talk to them. We don't interact with them unless we absolutely have to. And so here's a woman who's a Gentile who is a Canaanite who's an evil woman, and she's calling out to Jesus, and he's being silent. And really, that, that fits the mold of the Jewish teachers of that day. Jewish teachers did not listen or try to help the Gentiles. But we have seen uh, something different in Jesus. So this is kind of a weird scene. Jesus is silent. She's calling out to him. He does nothing in response. She's calling out to him. He does nothing in response. She calls out to him. You imagine everybody starts to look like, do you not get the point, woman? Why are you not listening to the fact that he's silent? Like, you should just know that means he's not going to help you. The disciples see and feel the awkwardness, the embarrassment for the woman. <laughs> and they say, Jesus, just tell her to go away. Just tell her to go away. And Jesus responds. By telling the woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He finally speaks to her and he tells her the reason why he's being silent. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is the point that Jesus has made clear earlier in the book of Matthew. Back in chapter 9, he looked out at the people of Israel and he saw that they were like sheep who have gone astray. Sheep without a shepherd. And he says, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send laborers. Because the fields are white. And then in chapter 10, he sends out his disciples and he tells them, don't go to the Gentiles, go to the lost sheep of Israel. He makes it clear in the book of Matthew that his purpose is to bring God's people, Israel, into this kingdom that he's about to establish. And so now he reveals that mission to the woman and, and states very plainly what he is here for. He's not, even though he's in the region of the Gentiles, he's not here for the Gentiles. 
But what's interesting is, whenever we look, we see that Jesus has healed a centurion who is a Gentile. We know that he does not just disregard all Gentiles, that he's not uh, just doesn't care about people who are of, that, of a different race and ethnicity than him while he's on the earth. He actually pays some attention to them and does things for them, but usually he doesn't, like his mission is for the Jews. That's why he's here, and he makes this very clear. We also know in the future the Gentiles will be grafted into the kingdom. But the Jews have come first because they are God's chosen people. Notice that she's not deterred. Verse 25, it says, She came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. You just picture the scene as it's developing. He tells her the reason why. And she just falls down on her knees and begs. Doesn't your heart break for the woman? She has nothing else to do. Like She, she just realizes this is it. And, and what's interesting is how her argument develops. At first, have mercy on me, O son of David. There's a recognition that this is the Messiah. This is the son of David, the descendant of David, who will rule on David's throne. And then the second time around, she just says, Lord, help me. Why do you think she cut that out? Why do you think she dropped that title? Well, it didn't help her, did it? <laughs> that just reminded her of the fact that Jesus has come for the Jews. He's the son of David. He's the descendant from the Davidic line to, to become the king of Israel. And so she just drops it. You know, she's wise, perceptive, and says, okay, that didn't help me. Uh, Lord, please help me. Just on a more personal level, help me. It's not that I, that I recognize you're the Messiah and I'm, I'm an Israelite. It's that I just need your help and will you please help me. Then Jesus responds with an even more odd response. He gives this illustration in verse 26. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? in the world does Jesus mean by this? I mean, this just sounds odd. Why would he say these words? It's not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dolls. Is he implying that she is a dog? <laughs> the word dog that he uses in this case is not the word dog that would refer to a filthy dog running the streets and eating dead carcasses and just filthy, filthy animals, but it's actually a different word. They had two words for dog. One was that, and this is the word for uh, an animal that you would keep in the house, a, a, a house dog, a pet. They're both unclean to the Jews, um, but he actually uses a word that represents Pet. So his emphasis isn't on her uncleanness and her ungodliness, even though Matthew makes the point she's a Canaanite. But his emphasis is that there's a difference in our relationship. And because you are not Israel, you are not one of the children who are supposed to be receiving the blessing. The bread is not for you but for the children of Israel. And this is what God had promised from the beginning. And so he's really making this point very clear that I can't do for you what I'm doing for Israel because I'm here to do what, I, what I'm here to do for Israel. They are the ones who have been promised this wonderful blessing and not you. 
Now, she could have been a proselyte, and then that would have been a different thing, but this is a Canaanite woman, and it is not for her because she has not become a child of Israel. Well, her response is even more amazing than the ones before. She says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I love that. You notice how she's not offended by the words that came out of Jesus' mouth. Remember what we said? Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. <laughs> she's not offended by the words that have come out of Jesus' mouth, declaring that she is a dog and not a child. Nor does she argue, as we might argue, saying, but we're all God's children, you know. <laughs> That's what I just said. It's in the Old Testament, actually, that picture, that idea that all the creation is God's children, but she doesn't even argue any of that kind of stuff. She, she just says, yes, I am a dog. And she asks for the crumbs from the table. And that statement of, of humility toward Jesus is something that he takes note of, that, that she is just completely submitting to him and recognizing that she is completely unworthy of this blessing. And Jesus' response to her is, O oh woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. She understands that receiving mere crumbs is all that she needs for her daughter to be healed. That Jesus is able to do this. That it's no big deal. That it's not even a major thing to Jesus. This is not the bread that Jesus has come to give. This is just a little crumb. This is just a small thing in all the work that Jesus has come here to do. And Jesus says, O woman, great is your faith. Be it for you as you desire. And all her daughter and her daughter's Demon oppression was taken care of at that very moment. Well, what's the point of this story? As we read through this, we, we, you know, the first time reading through, we're just like, wait a second, what is going on? Why does Jesus speak this way? Why is he at first silent with her? If he knew he was willing to, to heal her daughter, why didn't he just go ahead and heal her daughter, right? Why didn't she call out, have mercy on me, and him just turn around and say, okay, be it for you as you desire. Who has he rejected in all of Matthew who have come to him asking for healing? Not a single person. Not a single person. And yet here comes this woman, and he's silent. And he resists her, and he says, I'm just here for the, the, the sheep of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. He says, I, I've been sent to give bread to the children, and, and you're a dog. And I can't give you what is theirs. That would be wrong of me to do that. Why does he say all these things? What, what is he doing? Well, I believe this is a test. This is a test. He's testing the woman's faith, knowing where it's going to lead. He's allowing her to struggle. And as we pictured that scene of her crying out to Jesus and, and Jesus not giving it to her, you can just imagine the, the suspense building. Everybody's looking and everybody's like, oh, 
And, and they're just embarrassed for her, like, what are you doing? And maybe looking down on her and thinking that she's nobody and she's nothing and she's a Canaanite. What is she thinking? But in the end, we find out Jesus didn't really care about her race, about her gender, about her previous religion, about all of her sinful past, or about her lack of knowledge and understanding who Jesus is. He didn't care about any of that kind of stuff. That wasn't what he was focused on. But he loved her, and he helped her, because she sought him with great faith. Is there something that we can learn from this woman? I asked the question at the beginning, what obstacles prevent us from seeking Jesus with all of our heart? And I want to submit that this woman teaches us three obstacles that, that inhibit us, but that did not inhibit her. And the first one is our pride. Our pride. If we're hurting... Are we willing to, to call out to Jesus for help? Are we willing to seek His help? If we see and we understand the issues that are inside of us, is it to Jesus that we turn? And are we willing to proclaim that need in the hearing of other people? Notice how she was not, she was not concerned about what other people thought. She didn't care about the humiliation that she was going through because she was completely humble. I imagine that in our lives, this can be a major deterrent for us. I see that in myself. This is a major deterrent even for me. That I struggle with uh, what other people might think of me. And I'm afraid to, to put myself out there for others to see. I wonder how many people hear messages and, and they think about uh, the, the change that's needed in their life and the struggles that they have and... And then they, they think about seeking Jesus, but then they just stay in the pew. And they just stay there seated because they don't want to let that be known. And they don't want to ask for help from anybody else and prayers for them. They don't want every possible resource working for them to be joined to Jesus and to have the help and the healing that He offers. I think that's more prevalent than we care to admit. But this woman didn't care. She wanted Jesus no matter the cost. Can I just say that this is a safe place? If you come forward today, if you were to come forward at any time, no one here is going to be thinking and rolling their eyes about your confession and your struggles. But you know what? Even if they did, we should want Jesus bad enough to endure the mocking and the scoffing. Pride gets in the way. It didn't get in her way, and she received the blessing that was promised to her. And that's what I want for us as well. The next thing we see from her get my notes right, is how, is, is, is how persistent she was. And what I see in that is that I am a very fickle person. <laughs> I mean, she, she does not take no for an answer. But what do we do? When things get hard for us, when, when it's a challenge, 
Are we impatient? Do we, do we fail at something and then think, oh, well, I guess I'm just not supposed to do that, and we give up on it, and we say, well, maybe I can find something else to do. I mean, this is kind of a result of our culture and our society, that when things don't really work out, we can just choose something else. Uh, you know, my spouse didn't work out. She's not who I want her to be, or my husband's not who I want him to be. I can just try someone else and just give up on it and move on. Well, Jesus is not that way. He is the one and only who can help us. And she recognizes that. That there's nowhere else she can turn. And she persists and she pushes in to try to find the help that he has to offer. Seeking Jesus is hard. It's hard. And there may be times whenever it feels like there is no hope for him to, to help, for things to get better. And what we need to realize is that this is much more a marathon and not a sprint. Being a Christian, being a disciple of Christ, putting on Christ, seeking Christ, this is something that we have to continually be working at, and it's never going to get completely easy. If it has, begot, if it has become easy, then, then we're not pushing ourselves harder. I, I even see Paul noticing that he's not done yet. He doesn't just kick his feet up and say, I'm there. He's continually persevering. He's continually persisting in becoming like Christ. And he realizes he's not there yet, but he's continually striving for it because he wants that blessing. The third thing we see, as we look at her faith and her belief that Jesus has the power to heal and the willingness to heal, is that sometimes we doubt. Maybe you look at your life, as I have sometimes, and just thought, I don't think I'm good enough. And you look at all the mistakes you make, and you just think, why would God forgive me now? You know, this is a Canaanite woman. She has... Uh, she has done all kinds of things wrong in her past that she might be called a Canaanite. <laughs> She's made all kinds of mistakes, but she believed that Jesus would heal her daughter. She believed in the kindness and the compassion of Jesus, that he was willing to accept her, not because of her impeccable life or her righteousness but because of how wonderful He is. And I think sometimes our focus just gets on the wrong thing. As we think about our own failures, we're not realizing how great His love is and His compassion is for us. And maybe she could have thought, I just don't know enough. I mean, she said son of David and that brought out that she's not an Israelite and then... Maybe that was something that helped her to think, you know, I, I don't know enough to be in the presence of this guy, and, and who am I? But she kept going. And we need to realize that God doesn't care about us because of how much we know. He cares about us because we are a soul. And He loves us. And He wants us to be right with Him. And He wants us to seek them, seek Him, even in the little bit of knowledge that we have. He wants us to seek after Him. That is the central point of all of this, is the desire to know God more 
So if we don't know enough, we need to realize Jesus will still accept us. Not that we need to stop trying to know more, but that He is going to make up for what we're lacking. And we need to be diligent in our studies and, and striving to know more so that as, as we know more about God, we love Him more and we seek Him more. But going to heaven is not about knowing the Scriptures like the back of your hand. He accepts the most elementary people. He accepts the people who, who don't know anything. He loves them. He blesses them. That's not part of the criteria. He desires to transform them into people who know Him, into people who know more about Him, and into people who have greater love and affection for Him. So as we think about this text, we notice that Jesus lets the woman overcome all of her barriers, all of her obstacles, so that she can demonstrate great faith. I don't know what your obstacles are. I've got my own. But as we look at the, the humility, the persistence, and the faith of this woman, hopefully we're inspired to, to, to grow in these areas so that we can demonstrate a faith that is great and that rises above everything else. All of our obstacles, all of our struggles can be overcome. And also as we reach out and try to help other people, Hopefully we see in this that whatever their obstacles are, they can be overcome. It doesn't matter how far away they are. If they are seeking Jesus, if we can convince people that seeking Jesus is the most valuable and important thing they could possibly do, He provides the healing that they're really looking at, really desiring, then they can overcome the greatest of circumstances to become a child of God. Is that you? Do you have obstacles and struggles in your life that you realize and understand? Are you seeking Jesus for help? You don't have to be afraid. He wants to hear from you. Even if it doesn't seem like he does, he really does. <laughs> And he wants you to show that faith and that trust in him and be healed of all the struggles and all the trials and have hope of eternal life when this life is over that outweighs every bad thing going on in your life. If you're here this morning and you haven't received the gift that he offers, we want to encourage you and help you in any way. Please come forward as we stand and as we sing.